Welcome to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. I'm Erin, pediatric sleep consultant and founder of The Happy Sleep Company. From catnaps to night wakes and regressions to teething, we cover all things baby sleep. With a passion for children's sleep, we're here to help tired families get healthy rest. Hi everyone, welcome back to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. And today on Q&A Tuesday, we are talking all the baby sleep things. We have a bunch of different questions that have been asked over the last week and I pulled a few of them out and we're going to chat about them. Please excuse my voice. I had the virus over the last week, so I'm trying to keep up with my podcast recordings, but I'm a little bit off today, so bear with me, but I I think I'm going to do okay. I just sound a little bit off, so if you're wondering why, that's why. But let's start with a few things. We've got so much to cover today. Everything from sleep pressure and when to start building that with wake windows with babies to when to start looking for baby to self-soothe to wake windows for a toddler to night weaning and sleep coaching and what that looks like. And then on the go naps, a little bit about on the go naps. So lots of questions to cover today. So let's get started. First question that I pulled out was when to start wake windows to build sleep pressure for nighttime sleep. Baby is two weeks old and sleeps a ton in the day. So what this parent is saying is when do I start to look at how long I should keep my baby up during the day to ensure they have enough of what we refer to as sleep pressure at night. So when do I just stop letting my baby sleep all day and start actually actively trying to keep my baby up for particular windows during the day? I would start this right away. I would start this as early as you see possible. I know as a parent who has been through the newborn stage that it can be really tough to keep a newborn awake during what you were planning on being their wake window. For newborns, I really do love to see them be awake for about 45 to 60 minutes in between each of their naps in the day. It can be really hard to keep them up, but this is how we start to avoid day-night confusion for lots of newborns, is by not just letting them sleep all day and then being up partying all night. So we want to start to look at that sort of 45 to 60 minute wake window right from day one or as early as you think is feasible so that we can hopefully build the right amount of sleep pressure for the night while also making sure that baby gets enough naps during the day and enough awake time during the day. This also promotes better feeds if we're really ensuring that baby is awake during the day for certain periods of time, then we promote a good feeding schedule during the day for your newborn as well. So as early as possible, start looking at those wake windows. Next question is, baby is almost four months. I'm ready to start working on allowing her to self-soothe, but where do I even start? It's a really good question. Really, if we are looking at a four-month-old whose parent is telling me she's never really self-soothed, we've always fed to sleep, rocked to sleep, used the pacifier to get her to sleep, or replaced the pacifier anytime she wakes in order to get her back to sleep, then teaching your baby self-soothing skills really looks like sleep coaching. And so the question here is, where do we even start? It's with sleep coaching. I guess the answer is you start with sleep coaching. What sleep coaching looks like is not necessarily going to be the same thing for every family, but allowing your baby to now learn self-soothing skills is going to likely mean taking away the sleep props that previously existed and replacing those with 
now allowing your baby to learn self-soothing skills instead of you doing the rocking or the feeding to sleep or the replacing of the pacifier or the bouncing on the yoga ball or whatever your technique was previously to get your baby to go to sleep. When we remove those sleep crutches, of course, we want to have a plan for managing the inevitable protest that is going to come along with it. We want to make sure that we have a plan in place for if you remove the pacifier and your baby is upset, how are you going to manage that? If you now put your baby in the crib awake instead of feeding or rocking her to sleep and she's upset about that, how are you going to manage that? There are almost inevitably going to be tears involved when you're making any change to what your baby is used to. So if you've always done sleep one way, but you just feel like that way isn't working for your family anymore, so now you're going to try a different way, i.e. teaching your baby self-soothing skills, there are going to be tears involved because it's change. But the important thing is managing those tears in a way that your little one isn't just left alone for huge extended periods of time with no support. We want your little one to know that you're there when they're going through any change, and that includes sleep coaching and teaching them self-soothing skills and allowing them the chance to learn those self-soothing skills. We have a blog at thehappysleepcompany.com about different sleep coaching techniques. You will hear about some that I don't necessarily promote or use, but that exist that you can Google. You will hear about others that my, my team and I do use, like a stay in the room approach, a timed check-in approach. So you can check that out on the website. You can always reach out to us on the website to request a free 20-minute phone consultation, and we can talk more about that. But that's really what you want to have in place in terms of a plan, not necessarily with a sleep consultant per se, but just having your own plan that you are comfortable with for what you're going to do if your child is upset once you remove those crutches. But in answer to the question of how do you even start with allowing your child to self-soothe, it really is removing the stuff that was doing all of the pacifying before and now allowing your child the opportunity to learn self-soothing skills. Next question, what's the maximum amount of awake time a 16-month-old can handle? The reason I pulled this one out is because 16 months is kind of a transitional age, and there's a couple of answers to that question. Some 16-month-olds are ready for enough awake time in the day that they can handle just a one-nap day, and that nap will happen around noon every day. So that 16-month-old is probably ready for about five hours of awake time. You know, say they nap from noon to two, they can probably go to bed close to seven. But some 16-month-olds are really not ready for five hours of awake time. They can only handle more like four. That 16-month-old probably still needs a two-nap schedule where say they nap from like 9.30 to 10.30 in the morning, and then they nap again from like 2 to 3.30 in the afternoon, and then they go to bed for the night four hours later, so 7.30. So for a child who seems to only be able to handle about four hours of awake time before they get super cranky and tired, for that 16-month-old, they probably still need two naps a day. If they seem to be okay with more than that, they're probably ready for a one-nap schedule and they can just have a nap at noon every day. Next question is about night weaning. Do you require night weaning to sleep coach? No. If your child is 14 plus weeks, we work with families all the time at the Happy Sleep Company whose children are 14 weeks and beyond to help them start getting amazing healthy sleep habits in place. However, 
That doesn't mean that every single child who's beyond that age is ready to go the night without feeds. Have we worked with children that age and beyond who are okay to go the night without a feed and sleep 10 to 12 hours straight? We certainly have. Have we worked with children at that point and beyond who still require an overnight feed because there are still weight concerns, they have dropped in their percentile on the growth curve and we're monitoring that, the doctor was monitoring that. The baby's healthy, there aren't health concerns, but there might be still some monitoring of the baby's weight going on. If any of those things are the case or the family just feels entirely uncomfortable at an age like that with going the night without a feed, absolutely a night feed can be incorporated into a sleep plan and should certainly be incorporated into a sleep coaching plan if your baby has if there are any weight concerns around your baby or any growth concerns. The thing to keep in mind is if a family comes to us and their baby is at an age and at a weight where it's entirely appropriate for them to be going the night without a feed and the family says, well, I just want to keep a feed just because. I think it'll make sleep coaching easier if we keep an overnight feed for my nine-month-old 25-pound baby. The tough thing about that is this. At that point, we can be so confident that your child can do the night without a feed from a nutritional perspective that if we keep an overnight feed, it's likely that we're really just keeping a sleep crutch. And if we're keeping a sleep crutch, we're not really sleep coaching. We're actually confusing your baby because we're offering a feed sometimes and not other times when really he could go the whole night without a feed. So we really want to avoid confusing your baby. If your baby is at an age and a weight where it's fine for them to go the night without a feed, it really does make sense to do that night weaning as part of sleep coaching in that case, because then we're not confusing your baby in any way. We are making every sleep scenario look exactly the same. That way the protest goes away a lot more quickly because your baby starts to very quickly become confident and comfortable and familiar with what every single sleep scenario is going to look like. From nap time to bedtime to overnight wake-ups, they understand how to put themselves to sleep in every scenario. So if you're at that point, then it may make sense to involve night weaning as part of sleep coaching. It doesn't always have to be the case, depends on the baby. Depends on where they're at on the growth curve. It can certainly be part of sleep coaching, but in many cases it does make sense that a night feed is not part of sleep coaching so that we're not confusing baby. So best to chat with your doctor first if you have any concerns. And of course, if you work with a sleep consultant, they would be walking you through all of those recommendations if you were doing a full program together. And finally for today, for an older infant, one who's four months and out of the newborn stage, I mean, are on-the-go naps okay sometimes? For any baby, any child of any age, on-the-go naps are okay sometimes. For every parent, on-the-go naps are really necessary sometimes. Whether it's something that just has to be done, like you have a doctor's appointment, your child has a doctor's appointment, and you know your child falls asleep in the car on the way home, it's unavoidable. You have to get groceries, and the grocery store is 30 minutes away your child falls asleep in the car on the way home, or the walk in the stroller is 30 minutes away to the grocery store and they fall asleep in the stroller on the way home. It's avoidable, but you don't want to avoid it. Like you haven't seen your best friend in a month and you want to go for a long walk this afternoon with your baby, with your friend, and not rush back for nap time. These are all scenarios where it's really okay to do on-the-go naps and not feel like you're trapped by the nap at home. So, A few things to keep in mind with the on-the-go nap. 
The first thing is that if possible, I do love to see the first nap of the day happen at home in the crib because that one really sets the tone for the rest of the day. So if it's possible, let's set that one up at home in the crib and then have one of the later naps of the day be on the go. Those ones are usually tougher and shorter anyway. So if we're going to do a wrap or carrier or stroller or car nap, then let's make that happen later in the day if possible. And the other thing is just make sure it's not every single day if possible. So maybe it's only a couple of times a week that you do that afternoon nap on the go. Maybe that's because you need to do that afternoon nap in the wrap or carrier at the park for your six month old while your three year old plays at the park. And you need to do that two or three times a week to make sure that you're balancing your baby's need for naps with your preschooler's need to get out of the house and play and your need as a parent to get out of the house and get some fresh air and have a change of scenery. So just know that on the go naps are okay, but we just wanna try to limit them to a certain degree and we wanna try to be strategic about them if we can and really just make sure that the most restful naps are happening at home and the naps that may not have been as long or restful at home anyway, maybe choose to do those ones on the go, like those later afternoon naps. So those are the top five for the week. I hope that was a helpful Q&A Tuesday, covered a lot of stuff. Hopefully one or more of those topics resonated with you and you will be able to move forward with some good advice on that so that you can apply it the next time that is happening in your household. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Sleep Cues, the Everything Baby Sleep podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with a mom or dad who might need some rest. Connect with us on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company and check out our website, thehappysleepcompany.com for loads of blogs, sleep guides, and information about how we work with families one-on-one to get sleep on track.